Welcome to The Bucket Problem, episode 14. This is the first time we're coming to you since the website went premium. So before we dive into the show, I just want to thank everybody who has signed up so far. We are over 200 paid subscribers as we record this on Tuesday evening. Uh, That is uh, awesome. Um, And I really appreciate everybody who has signed on to... uh, get the newsletter which will be coming to you twice a week and the bonus podcast which will be coming to you once a week that is the in-season schedule off-season schedule to be determined uh when we reach the off-season um but this is the free podcast presented to you by Homefield apparel we are coming off a 63 to 10 michigan victory over northern illinois uh alex and connor are joining me today dan is visiting family during rutgers week We'll leave it at that. Um, So, yes, Michigan plays Rutgers uh, this weekend. Uh, Rutgers, a top five team by resume S&P Plus. We're SP Plus, I'm sorry. Uh, You know, got to keep it legal here. Um, That is uh, the ever-reliable Bill Connolly's uh, um, resume ranking that compares how a top five uh, team would do uh, or how a team would do against the average top five opponent. Michigan is second to Georgia. Rutgers is fifth. Uh, this is the reality that um, I am choosing to live in. That is my big mood this week is that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're just in a top five Michigan world. We're, we're in a world where Michigan is playing a top five matchup against uh, the vaunted Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Um, Michigan, even if you go by regular old unadjusted or regular old adjusted SP plus, um, with the preseason rankings baked in, which had Michigan 17th, puts Michigan 6th. Um, if you strip those away, uh, the preseason projections in SP+, Plus, uh, as Bill Connolly tweeted out, uh, Michigan moves to number one in the country, which is uh, really, really something. Um, I'm just going to keep reading uh, stats based on this stuff for a little bit just to get the uh, get the feelings going. Uh, there are four teams in the Big Ten with a better than 5% chance of finishing 11-1 and one or better. Uh, in reverse order, Ohio State at 9%, Iowa at 13.6%, Michigan at 19.4%, and Penn State at 20.1%. That is, is wild. Um, uh, that is... Uh, from an article in which Connolly teased uh, that two Big Ten teams will make the college football playoff and Ohio State won't be one of them. Uh, These are bold predictions, so please don't actually hold them to that. But um, you know what? We're living in this world, and and that's really, uh, I mean, in all seriousness, it, it has been pretty spectacular to see Michigan come out and just completely handle uh, three teams that, well, not knocking anybody's socks off. Uh, two of them might actually not be terrible. And even if they are terrible, Michigan is doing to them what good teams do to bad teams. And as we have seen with, say, Ohio State, which is currently 2-1 and one with a loss to Oregon and really uninspiring victories over Minnesota and Tulsa, uh, you can do a lot worse than handling your business against bad teams uh, in September. Uh, so this has been a, a pretty fun first few weeks of the season and one where, especially now that Michigan decided to uh, 
pass all over Northern Illinois in addition to running all over them. There's just very little to complain about right now in terms of what Michigan has shown on the field. And now, I mean, I I guess we sort of nudge into the territory of Big Ten season uh, with this Rutgers game. But um, unless, uh, you know, top five Rutgers, I I take it back. You know, as we start this Big Ten season off with uh, an absolutely titanic matchup against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, it's worth appreciating what Michigan has done so far heading into Big Ten season. Uh, Connor, uh, I think you've got a big mood that regards how Michigan has gotten this done so far. Yeah. So, um, we all wondered what the coaching staff would do. A largely new coaching staff would do in the off season to turn around last year's sort of Boschian nightmare of a football team. Um, and two guys in the coaching staff that were not new, however, were head coach Jim Harbaugh. You may have heard of him. And offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis. And uh, especially, I assume a lot of this happened during that period when Jim Harbaugh was in California staring at the waves at 4 a.m. for like six <laughs> weeks or whatever he was doing. Um, maybe he did some like, you know, dawn calls with Gaddis while that was going on. I don't know. We're going to write the, the short film screenplay at some point. But uh, he and Gaddis <laughs> thought long and hard. And they decided that what they were going to do, and this is really groundbreaking, was they were going to give the ball to their good players. And I just, I mean, truly mind bending. I don't know where they come up with this stuff. These guys, they're on a different level, right? Um, like my serious take though, is that like, I, I did that long intro to make the point that I think even when Michigan has played well under Harbaugh or even pre Harbaugh, I think this is a longstanding Michigan problem that I even remember from my youth watching Lloyd Carr teams was that Michigan. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Michigan has not always been willing to simply give the ball to their best offensive skill players in optimal positions and let those guys succeed. I think most especially Gaddis's first year, 2019, was actually a pretty good team, almost very nearly won 10 games, did win nine games, um, and could have had an elite offense if a few more things clicked because they had that elite offensive line, those wide receivers. But we were just anguished all year that Nico Collins and Donovan Peoples-Jones didn't get the ball in optimal situations, especially when they were just screamingly wide open down the field. (laughs) Shea Patterson seemingly wasn't even looking at them. But also, like, you know, the running game was uninspiring aside from the Notre Dame blowout, which was beautiful, and which turned out to be a foreshadowing of this year, by the way. Um, But, like, just generally getting A.J. Henning involved in those end-arounds, like, it's all that West classic West Coast offense stuff we've made fun of Harbaugh for that Michigan is now executing extremely well. Those end rounds and reverses being a, a throwback uh, in that regard that, that, you know, putting Henning and Wilson in situations where they can make a play with their feet. Obviously, Corum and Haskins, we talked about a ton. Not much needs to be said there, but they're using them as well as can be they can be used. And then guys like Baldwin and Johnson down the field. I mean, they're not looking down the field that much because they don't, haven't had to. But, you know, Cade McNamara can hit those deep shots. Um they, they know which guys they want down the field. Like it just, and, and they've got the tight ends involved the way they want. Eric all isn't that heavily involved, but he's, you know, being put in smart positions when he is, it's just really, really nice to see. And it turns out that actually is one of the major cure, uh, Ill, uh, cures to a lot of the things that have plagued Michigan football. So hats off to our genius coaches. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that they figured this out, even though nobody's been saying this for several years. I, I mean, I don't know where they come up with this stuff, but <laughs> It's it's awesome, uh, Alex. Um, you you went with the twist, and I I think it's a bit of an ode to our uh, our missing co-host. 
Yeah, I would say that my mood is exuberant optimism looking at these uh, statistical rankings for Michigan. Um, although I would say that Bill Connolly did did provide the caveat that due to the shortened 2020 season, those numbers might be, you know, you might need to take those with a bigger grain of salt than usual. <laughs> I um, refuse. No. <laughs> I will say that just from a yeah, purely impressionistic perspective, it has been fun watching what looks to be one of the best rushing attacks in the country. And I would say too, that it's easier to um, give the ball to your good players when you choose to run it like 80% of the time and you have three really good running backs. Um, but yes, my big mood of the week is not about the Wolverines of Ann Arbor, but rather the Spartans of East Lansing. Um, Michigan State superfan Dan would love this big <laughs> mood. But my big mood of the week is September Heisman energy coming out of East Lansing. So <laughs> Michigan State is 3-0. and They have beaten what looks to be an utterly dreadful Northwestern team (laughs) on the road week one. Uh, They beat Youngstown State. Didn't watch a snap of that game. But I did catch quite a bit of their win over Miami. And I did feel pretty good about Michigan State heading into that game. Um, Watching it unfold, Miami was minus four in turnover margin. Had several major breakdowns that, you know, to Michigan State's credit, they have the talent at the skill positions to punish. Um, If a guy just randomly decides not to set the edge or if a safety inexplicably runs away from a ball Makes carrier. the worst play ever. <laughs> things like things of that nature. Um, I will say that I do think Michigan State is maybe pretty good, but they could, under, under some perspectives, bear a striking resemblance to the Denard Robinson, September Heisman era of Rich Rodriguez football. Um, particularly uh, 2010, I think, was, was maybe the apex of that. And Michigan got off to a fast start, um, padded by wins over weak non-conference competition before falling back to earth in Big Ten play. I think Michigan State could be a candidate for the same this year. Um, they clearly are better than people thought they would be, and I think Kenneth Walker in particular is a is a deserving September Heisman winner for his excellent play through three games. And, and those receivers, Peyton Thorns look pretty good. Like Michigan State has some stuff yeah. going in their direction, but um, – yeah, I, I'm feeling a little bit more skeptical of Sparty's 3-0 and than, say, Michigan's 3-0, and which just very almost plain and tedious. It's it's getting at least against, you know, um, Northern Illinois, just methodical touchdown drives over and over and over. So, you know, for me, that's, that's a good vibe, and that's, you know, it's nice to see, um, you know, just Michigan churn out wins like that. But I think the... Uh, yeah, the September Heisman mood is a little bit more intriguing to me as of now. So so you're a little skeptical that Kenneth Walker will continue rushing for 8.7 yards per carry? Yeah, you know, I I don't think he'll be rushing for 8.7 yards a carry against a Big Ten schedule. Um, I do think that the Michigan-Michigan State game has the potential to be a, a classic in the flavor of this rivalry, and if last year was any indication the Spartans play up against Michigan which is something that I've definitely seen at least since I I was a kid and I started watching so that could be interesting Um, I don't know that they're a threat to contend for a Big Ten title or challenge maybe that top three of Ohio State Penn State and Michigan but um, they had a big win over Miami and in the offseason, I, I circled this as one of the big sicko games of the year, but Nebraska <laughs> plays at Michigan State this week. So um, that could be 
we could be in for some very, very weird Big Ten football in that. That one. did not get our sickos game of the week designation, but only because there's a there's a real nasty one uh, coming up this weekend too. Uh, yeah, it's, I it's think the real gross. I think the Big Ten West is going to pretty reliably produce those sorts of games this the year. Sicko, yeah. yeah. I will say that, that is fair. Denard era without the Denard is not a place you want to be as the program as a program. So <laughs> let's hope that's where Michigan State is. Um, hey, hey, look, Peyton Thorne is out here leading Big Ten quarterbacks in passer rating, and he's got he's averaging nine point four attempts yards per attempt with nine touchdowns and no picks. Uh, and that I do just not want to hear any terrible. Peyton Thorne skepticism. <laughs> here, I'm not going to censor him, but like, how no, I'm kidding. Are, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> slander away. I mean, uh, no, I I've watched him play some. I mean, like they. they keep playing in these games against these teams that are so bad that it's like, I, I can't do this. Um, but uh, like Thorne looks solid, which is more than you could say for their quarterback play uh, last year, except in a certain game that we'll pretend never happened. Um, but uh, I apologize if we're getting a little bit of background noise in here. But uh, anyway, uh, Peyton Thorne has looked decent. I'm just a, a little skeptical that after like an off season competition battling, uh, famed Rutgers transfer and uh, uh, noted coward, Anthony Russo, according to Dan, according to Dan. Temple uh, transfer, even more like. Oh, Catholic. sorry. Yeah. Temple transfer. <laughs> he, had to, he had to get guy. far away from Dan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm just a little bit skeptical of like Peyton Thorne, at, at least being like statistically the best quarterback in the conference. You know, I do have to be the uh, voice of Sparty fan Dan while he's not here, but I will say that Mel Tucker seems to be doing a good job of building that program, given the hand that he was dealt. Um, Michigan State was really lacking in talent. Mark D'Antonio kind of mailed it in the last couple of years. Um, he was hired after signing day before COVID for a year zero. And in year one of this rebuilding schedule, um, he's on track to make a bowl game, really has upped the talent level from those late D'Antonio teams with some key transfer additions. And I think the offense looks legitimately decent. We'll see how the offensive line does against better defenses, but um I will. They they are ahead of schedule, so I will give them that. I'm going to make a bold statement here, and this could be getting ahead of myself. But here's the thing, right? If Michigan loses to Michigan State, we're all going to feel terrible no matter what. So there's no amount of like jinxing that's going to matter. I will say, speaking of like them against Big Ten defenses, I just have a tough time given what I've seen from Spartan offenses the last few years. Like when they go up against Mike McDonald, and he's actually like confusing quarterbacks as he has all year he confused uh former michigan state quarterback rocky lombardi last week in fact <laughs> um i just think it's going to look a lot different because i the, the spartans have that aura of a team that has achieved sort of competence but a kind of competence that is still has serious talent holes and probably has a certain degree of rigidity to it um i I'm skeptical. I will say I will agree with Alex's take that Mel Tucker, given that D'Antoni essentially gave up on adding talent to his program for like a couple of years at the end there, I do think that Tucker deserves some serious credit for making, uh, you know, making some chicken salad out of that mess. But I, I still just don't see it. I don't think these guys – I remember Michigan State when they had players like LeVan Bell or Aaron uh, uh, Burbridge who were just like – really good and the best in the Big Ten. And I don't think they have those guys yet. You know, I do think that they have guys that can beat Michigan one-on-one, um, particularly on the outside if, if Thorne has time to throw. So I'm 
intrigued by that matchup. I think I would have Michigan as a favorite at this point, even though the game is in East Lansing. But yeah, overall, better than we thought. Maybe not as good as some of their fans may think at this juncture. Um, And with regards to Michigan State, but also Michigan, three games is a pretty small sample, and you really only have seen them against the teams that they've played. So it is kind of hard to project with any degree of confidence how they might fare against, say, Penn State. That is true. I I mean, it's very hard to draw too much from really any three-game sample in college football, uh, but especially the non-conference three-game sample, and especially one that involved uh, Northwestern, which is uh, quickly looking like possibly the Big Ten's worst team. It it seems to be either them or Illinois. Um, That's going to be a great iteration of that rivalry this year. Oh, man, what what a brutal in-state matchup there. Um, So, I mean, when you play Northwestern and you play an FCS team in Youngstown State, um, there's just... Yeah, like Kenneth Walker is going to average like eight and a half yards a carry. Um, he's good, but uh, it, it's a little like when when Blake Corn, Blake Corn breaks out against uh, Northern Illinois. Uh, you take it for what it's worth. Um, now Corn has also looked very good against better defenses too, but uh, um, that was the first name that popped into my head. Um, that was some Spartan talk. Uh, their noted enemy. Um, Trojans. Uh, and that is the big new Saturday school uh, from Homefield Apparel. Use promo code BUCKETPROBLEM for 15% off your first first order from homefieldapparel.com. I am not going to harass Connor this week because actually I already have been over text messages uh, getting him to give away free shirts uh, to people have subscribed uh, to uh, the website or um, gift cards to people uh, who have been kind enough to um, sign up at the Built Different tier um, at www.thebucketproblem.com, uh, which is an awesome thing that you can do and uh, get uh, pretty much all of the extra costs paid off with a $25 gift card from our friends at Homefield Apparel. So we thank them very much this week, and we do not harass them uh, because they have been very, very good to us. And with that, we're going to hit some more Northern Illinois takes uh, before we get to um, some pretty wild shit happening in uh, the Ohio State media sphere. Um, But first, uh, Michigan actually, like, throws the ball in this game, which is a a change from what we saw previously, where Michigan just kind of kept all of the offense in their back pocket. And... Cade McNamara came out looking significantly better uh, than he did in admittedly a very small sample uh, against a Washington team that didn't really require Michigan to ever break out much of their offense. He goes 8 for 11 for 191 yards and a touchdown. Uh, That touchdown went for 87 yards to Cornelius Johnson. Uh, Then J.J. McCarthy took over in the second half and went 4 for 6 for 42 yards. Um before Michigan just ran the clock out because Michigan ran for uh, 373 yards on 48 carries in this game. So we still only see 17 pass attempts, but they look good. They look connected to the rest of the offense. They work. Cornelius Johnson pulls off a double move. They get some extremely wide open for a long touchdown. I mean, how are we feeling about this offense now that it seems like they've 
you know, answered a lot of the questions that people had after two weeks. You know, I don't think it, it's not nothing to do this well against a, what looks to be lower tier Mac defense, but I don't think you can draw too much from it, to be honest. I, you know, Michigan has obviously quite a strong rushing offense. Um, Cade did look good on Saturday. I think that double move deep ball to Cornelius Johnson is a is about as easy of a throw as you can get from a protection <laughs> and how open the wide receiver is standpoint and uh, watching guys at the second level or in the secondary try to tackle tackle uh, Haskins and Corum. That's it was pretty ugly um, to be honest. So I, I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. Well, one man's ugly is another man's beautiful. <laughs> um, it was definitely pretty ugly for Northern Illinois. That's I can say, that's but yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think you can draw too much from it. We'll, I, we've kind of circled the Wisconsin game for a little while as like, okay, this is where we're going to get a true test of this team's medal and specifically the, the how well the offense will do against a quote-unquote real team, and Northern Illinois is pretty far from that. Yeah, I, I will give the counterpoint there, which is I agree, like, you know, this game didn't teach me anything about Blake Corum. I didn't already know. Like, he rocks, and <laughs> of course he's going to shred a team like this. Um, ditto, like, Cornelius Johnson. Yeah, he gets, like, just screamingly wide open down the field and scores an 87-yard touchdown. Like, that's just superior talent. Absolutely. But I will say a few things. I think reading, like, Seth uh, from MGO Blogs, you know, uh, UFR of the offense, like, Third week in a row, the offensive line makes almost no mistakes, including younger guys who are doing things like picking up blitzes. Because even a really terrible defense, and obviously, and I use defense as terrible, they're going to throw some stuff at you because they're only, you know, they have to take a bunch of risks to do anything, right? So they're going to try different blitzes. And whether or not they're good at them, you're going to have to pick up the guy getting into the backfield. They're still football players, right? So it's really encouraging to see how well coached Michigan's offensive line is. Um guys that we knew were talented have emerged just playing like they're extremely seasoned and like they know what to do in pretty much every situation. And that's going to be huge. I mean, that's the thing where it translates best to much stronger opponents is your offensive line. Knowing what they need to do, which can be complicated and executing it extremely well um, is a big one. I also think Cade McNamara, like we're starting to see this dude has a real deep ball, uh, which is reassuring Um, one that he can, you know, throw in rhythm and after making the right read, which has not been a given with Michigan quarterbacks, uh, also accuracy at a basic level, that's important too. Um, I, I want to put forward a theory about Cade McNamara, actually, which we were discussing in our group chat. I think he might be the perfect hardball quarterback <laughs> because he's, an, he's both an absolute meathead who would try to run through a brick wall if he thought it would help the team. Like, he's that kind of guy. But he's also, like, cerebral enough to run... Uh, the sometimes annoyingly elaborate things that Jim Harbaugh wants to do. He also has the personality where if you do take away his ability to throw for a whole game, he's going to bounce back and not pout about it, which is really important when Jim Harbaugh is your coach. Just Jim Harbaugh values toughness, doesn't want to hear you complaining about things, and will treat you like an NFL quarterback and sometimes just say, here's how it's going to be, rather than thinking about how to get, make you confident, et cetera, et cetera. And I think last but not, also takes impeccable care of the football, has never thrown a pick, which is huge for Harbaugh. He's... Jim Harbaugh is very, very anti-interception to an extent that I think is probably a little bit too much. And lastly, good enough at the actual throwing the ball part. And Cade's been consistent and accurate. And while he does not have world-class arm strength, he has enough. He's getting it done. So I actually think that he and Harbaugh are a great pairing, and we're kind of seeing that play out. Even if McNamara isn't 
you know, having huge days passing the ball, like looking at the rest of the Big Ten and their quarterback situations, I'm perfectly fine having a steady game manager who never throws picks and or, or kills drives with just terrible decisions. Um, seems like a good fit for this team and this program. And yeah, definitely above the median Big Ten, <laughs> Big Ten quarterback performance thus far. Yeah, I mean, uh, to Alex's point, Who's the best quarterback in the Big Ten right now? I mean, I guess because when you're Thorne. looking at the stats, it's gross. <laughs> if you're looking at the stats, it is Peyton Thorne um, or uh, Talia Tonga-Vailoa, who might really be the answer here. Um, yeah, He's averaging I mean, nine she... yards an attempt with seven touchdowns and no picks, uh, and they're throwing it a lot more than State is. Um, I'm not confident in Sean Clifford as an answer to this question, nor am no. I confident in CJ Stroud, but I will say any quarterback with CJ Stroud's receivers has a, a good chance of being the Big Ten's best quarterback. Yeah, I, I actually like Tagovailoa as the answer to this, and he might be the most deserving one at the end of the season because like he's doing that behind I haven't like watched their games, but their offensive line remains terrible. So like he's doing that in a situation that is way less favorable than like what someone like Stroud or McNamara or the hapless Graham Mertz has to work with. So does anyone want to guess who um, among qualifying quarterbacks of which there are 13? And I'll tell you right now that Cade McNamara is the one quarterback who has not thrown enough passes to qualify. Um, but of the 13 other Big Ten starting quarterbacks, after Thorne and Tonga Vailoa, who do you think is third in the Big Ten in passer rating? Uh, Hunter Johnson. <laughs> I am going to guess uh, Spencer Petras. It is Adrian Martinez. Oh, whoa. <laughs> Yikes. That's grim. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I was he's kind had of... some good games since week zero, but... Uh, yeah, it, it and then after him is C.J. Stroud, and following C.J. Stroud is Jack Plummer of Purdue. Um, <laughs> Any relation to like... Jake Plummer there? I do not know for sure. Um, I we might have really, to do a fact check. I feel like he's quick. been around for long enough that I should know that. Um, and then you quickly get into the uh, Sean Clifford and Noah Vedral tier, and that those guys are separated by uh, less than a tenth of a point in QB rating right now, which is uh, wonderful. Um, and the thing that really stands out to me on this is not just that, like, um, the elite teams and the elite quarterbacks are not necessarily paired with each other, um, but, like, uh, the teams that have emerged as, like, you know, the the possible kind of upset teams this year. I mean, Spencer Petras of Iowa is 11th out of the 13th qualifying 13 qualifying quarterbacks. He's averaging 5.5 yards in attempt so far. Uh, Iowa's offense is just as ugly as you remember it. They're just uh, playing hellacious and uh, very turnover-heavy defense right now. Um, and Graham Mertz of Wisconsin is 12th. Um, he uh, Wow. He's the guy who we thought he was uh, from last year, but we're skeptical of what we saw because of the whole COVID thing. Um, but he hasn't thrown a touchdown yet in in two games and uh dead last by some margin is michael Penix jr of your preseason top 25 indiana hoosiers and we apologize 
we apologize to our sponsors for reading the stat line. Uh, but he's looked every bit as bad as 14th out of 14 in the Big Ten so far. Yeah, he's averaging 5.1 yards an attempt with four touchdowns and six interceptions on 29 attempts a game. That's that, that's not good. That's not good. That is honestly. Go ahead. Sorry. Completing 48 percent of his passes. I mean, that's honestly a little bit like I don't hate Indiana enough to like be gleeful about that. We need Dan on here to call them soy and Reddit, but uh, <laughs> like Phoenix, that's I mean, I I did expect him to be the best quarterback in the league this year. I guess partly just because I believed in their passing offense overall, like with with Fry Fogel and Hendershot mm-hmm. and all the other great names they have in that team. Um, but that's oh, man, it's weird. I mean, this could be the worst season. I don't know, 10 years, 15 years for like Big Ten quarterbacks. This looks like a historically bad season. The fact that like we're talking about Peyton Thorne, who I really don't think is an NFL quarterback, as like arguably the best guy through three games. NFL, good Lord. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't think there's a single NFL quarterback in the conference this year. I mean, as far as, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Except for J.J. McCarthy, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean. That... Tonga Vailoa, that he might, he might be your best bet right now. Yeah. Poor man's Russell Wilson, I guess. You could talk yourself into drafting him in the late rounds. And yeah. that's good. I mean, I think like this can only be good for Michigan, given that Michigan has perhaps the best rushing offense <laughs> in the country. Um, you know, not to be too Statistically, rosy. Statistically, yes. But hey, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'll take it. Yeah, Michigan is currently like outrushing the service academies and everybody else in the country. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. So, uh, and, you know, some of that is obviously uh, competition influenced, uh, but 350 rushing yards a game on 7.2 yards carry, with 15 rushing touchdowns on 147 attempts. I mean, Michigan has more rushing yards than Army on uh, like 54 fewer carries. So that's there's another stat for you. Um, what else do we want to discuss after this game before we get into some weird stuff? Um, Donovan Edwards uh, finally got his chance uh, to come in and, and make a showing in the backfield after uh, Mike Hart had said uh, his biggest regret from the Washington paving was not getting Edwards involved. Um, Edwards comes out, runs for a long touchdown. Um, looks uh, looks pretty darn athletic. Uh, seems like... Or sorry, runs for two touchdowns. Um, one of them went for 58 yards. He has 87 yards on eight carries. Um, he's he's looking uh, like the borderline five star that that uh, he was billed as when Michigan pulled in. Is this the best backfield in the conference? Because the only one that I think uh, has an argument is Ohio State. Yes, this is better than Ohio State's. Like I I, I feel very confident in saying that just because. Donovan Edwards is, in my mind, about as good as Trevan Henderson. He was higher on Ohio State's board than Trevan Henderson, and Henderson is tearing it up for Ohio State, and Edwards would play for Ohio State, and he's only third because Haskins and Corum also rock. That's just how it is. Yeah, I, th- I think Henderson is pretty good, but I would agree he's that Michigan has the best running backs in the conference. Um However you want to compare C.J. Stroud to Cade McNamara, which I don't feel very strongly either way, could tilt that towards Ohio State. Um, Likewise, honestly, Michigan State, not that bad of a backfield. Um, They could be up there, definitely in the top half. Uh, But in the mood of exuberant optimism, I'm, I'm in favor. I will say that Michigan has quite possibly the best group of running backs in not only the big time, but in all of college football, because, yeah, I mean, if... 
at almost any other program, a guy like Corum is getting a vast majority of the carries and might not be as effective with quite that large of a workload. But, you know, Haskins is nominally the starter and getting plenty of carries. Donovan Edwards could possibly take up to 20% of the touches. Like Michigan can really rotate through guys um, and present a couple different looks at the defense. So uh, for going whole backfields, I'm not sure, but running backs room, yeah, definitely best in the Big Ten. Yeah, I, I will feel pretty confident saying, especially since uh, I, I have uh, I follow quite a number of Ohio State people. Um, I, I don't think Master Teague would be getting carries in Michigan's backfield right now, and uh, <laughs> he is still getting some work for Ohio State, although he has fallen behind uh, Henderson and Miami. How is he still there? I feel like he's been – God, COVID, man. <laughs> I, I know, I know. It's uh, – um, time is – uh, but a figment of your imagination. Um, speaking of which, Rocky Lombardi was the opposing quarterback, and uh, after uh, leading Northern Illinois to a field goal drive um, where they definitely should have gone for it if they wanted to, you know, have any prayer of winning this game or even staying in contact, um, the uh, sideline reporter later noted that. Uh, uh, Rocky went over to his running backs who were on the bench and very angry that they did not go on fourth and short and uh, reassured them that uh, it was the right decision because they can move the ball on these guys all day. Um, Rocky Lombardi's <laughs> final stat line, 9 for 17, 46 yards, one touchdown, one interception. That touchdown came when Michigan was playing the backups to the backups. Um, you so, know, uh, I will say about that little anecdote, that is maybe a little bit cruel for the sideline reporter to report that because, no! I mean, of course, of he course, said it. no, of course you're going to be overly enthusiastic and positive and uplifting towards your teammates in private. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I, all, Rocky, all I have to say. Rocky's a nice kid. I just want everybody to be nice to Rocky. <laughs> Rocky was taunting the fans. So, Rocky, you know, like, you know, whatever you all think I'm gonna about say, him. Rocky I, I think it's okay have, that the sideline reporter came with it. <laughs> Rocky does have, like, 80s movie high school bully vibes to him, so I don't really yes. like that. We can be mean mean to Rocky. That's and funny. a bully name. I'm just going to say this to Rocky Lombardi. Ricky White ain't walking through that door. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a cell phone, but, um, you know, we're owning this year, and uh, distancing ourselves from last year as much as humanly possible. Uh, do we have anything else from this game? Because, uh, I don't know. It's... It's Northern Illinois, so I feel like trying to take away individual things from the defense is uh, will go with difficult. Um, I have one I, comment. Go ahead, sorry. No, shoot. Uh, a comment would be wonderful right now. <laughs> so Zach Shaw at 24-7 did a nice compilation of just all kinds of stats about Michigan that people can read if they're curious. So I was going through that. Um, Michigan's defense is like good in S&P Plus right now and stuff, I, uh, but... You know, we're not that high in a lot of, like, the counting stats categories nationally for defense. Like, we're not that high. In, we're pretty low in sacks. We're pretty low in tackles for loss. Haven't forced a lot of turnovers, um, which is interesting because it's kind of the inverse of what we expected. We thought we were going to see a lot more impact plays and a lot more gambling to get impact plays uh, as opposed to the kind of consistency that Don Brown tried to bring. And so far, it's more been about 
you know, being consistent and stopping long drives from materializing than it has the impact plays. But I did have a realization about that, uh, which is it's actually hard to get those counting stat impact plays when your team controls the ball for like 80% of the game. <laughs> like you're not going to have as many opportunities to get sacks or tackles for loss or interceptions or anything. So I thought I'd trot that out because it is interesting to like potentially throw some cold water on things with the defense. But also I think the defense is still at this point a lot less proven than the offense in the sense that they haven't been on the field that much. Um, so while I feel like I understand this offense quite well, the defense has, you know, is still much more of a mystery. Um, and that's not a bad thing. I think they look good and they, and they need some time to round into shape. But it is, uh, <laughs> we haven't, we, don't, we literally don't have as much data on them as we do on the offense. So, Yeah, I mean, a key question about Michigan to me is how good will the defense be against good offenses? And I think that's very much an open, open question. But the natural follow-up question to that is how many good offenses will there actually be on the schedule? Um, looks like Wisconsin's offense is pretty bad. Ohio State has talent. Penn State could be pretty good. Maryland has some like intriguing threats in the passing game, but beyond that, you know, you could get to yeah two thirds of the season without really playing a good offense. So yeah, we'll see. We're also getting some interesting data points on the defense from alternate reality, Michigan uh, way out West um, where uh, Jed fish hired Don Brown to be his defensive coordinator at Arizona. And I swear, I'm not trying to like be mean to Don Brown with this stuff. Cause people keep tweeting stuff about like, why are you guys being such jerks to him? We're just like trying to explain like what the heck happened last year and why things might turn around this year. And when Arizona comes out and okay, you lose 24 to 16 to BYU. Fine. BYU is pretty good. Uh, then you lose 38-14 to San Diego State, uh, a Brady Hoke coach San Diego State. That's a little bit worse. Uh, then on Saturday, they come out and lose 21-19 to to Northern Arizona, which is not an FBS team. Um, they play Oregon this week. That that I don't know if you can uh, – I wouldn't want to be setting a line for that. Uh, good Lord. Um, so we're kind of seeing that maybe um, – like we sort of suspected over the last couple seasons that the way that Don Brown approached defense, um, which incidentally is kind of similar to how uh, Kerry Combs has approached defense the, the first few weeks of the season, um, has maybe uh, that's not really how things work in college football these days. And uh, there's a reason to believe that uh, Mike McDonald has a more modern approach and also a more flexible approach. And it does seem to be putting players in better positions to not just make plays because Michigan hasn't really had to make big plays, but just to generally be successful as a unit. Yeah. I mean, Michigan definitely uh, participated in the whole ceremonial uh, throwing of the failed coordinator under the bus. <laughs> um, but sometimes that's right. So it's, I mean, it's looking pretty right uh, as of right now in terms of, you know, Michigan's yet yeah, newfound defensive competence after last year, under McDonald seems like it's a defense that would be better equipped to handle uh burlier running teams. I guess we'll see, but um, I like what I've seen so far. Yeah. And just really quickly while we're bringing up the Don Brown thing, like I, I think it's really important not to be too hard on Brown. Cause obviously the dude was a brilliant defensive coordinator in his day and had some, did some great work at Michigan, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's not just the schematic approach. It's also, it's very clear to me, at least by the end that the players were pretty sick of the defensive staff and their approach and that manifests in things like playing Ben Van Sumeren because I assume he's 
being better in practice than guys who are actually good at football um, <laughs> <laughs> or Shibley, God bless him. Um, and I just think like a lot of the stuff that Don Brown did, like not playing young guys, not getting backups in there, take really punishing guys hard. If they made a single mistake, presumably, you know, rewarding uh, playing hard practice over talent. Those all used to be the way that football coaches generally operated for a very long time. And recently the most elite teams especially have gone very far from that and put their talented young guys out there and let them, you know, make a few mistakes, but just sort of get, get going on the field. And I just think, you know, by the end, Don Brown didn't know how to coach this current generation of players or how to exist in that, that environment. And McDonald does like they're getting young guys out there. They're letting them make a few mistakes. They've unearthed some really crucial young players that they were, they needed because the team was so thin going into the year. The defense was, um, I think that's really crucial. I think you can't understate, like uh, you know, you can't over overstate how important it is for have the players having fun, to have the players liking the coaches, and yeah, to work hard, but also just to like accept that this is college football. These guys are still learning the game; they're going to make some mistakes, but you have to use your good players, get them out there, and uh, roll with it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to argue with the results right now, and it's also hard to argue with the way that Michigan is going about attaining them. They played a ton of players against Northern Illinois. I believe Jim Harbaugh said they played a hundred guys, um, which is absurd. Um, and, but it's, it, it hasn't just been in like the Northern Illinois game. They also cycled through a bunch of guys uh, against Washington. You had Rod Moore out there at safety when the game was competitive. Um, so like, I, I've been really pleased with with that side of the ball, and and it's. Uh, I, I mean, we'll see what happens, um, and it's hard to know when the first real test is going to be. But uh, um, so far, so good. Um, we got to dive into this Buckeye scoop stuff. We've been holding off long enough. Um, there is God. I don't even know where to start. Uh, so there's this website called Buckeye Scoop. Um, that uh, is essentially uh, an independent um, kind of recruiting focus site, uh, insider focus site um, that uh, was basically modeled like a like a rivals or two four seven site, uh, except independent, and it uh, gathered together a lot of uh, relatively notable um, Ohio State media members, um, and uh, that that was when it was founded about a year ago uh in the time since then uh i first have to mention the work of uh dj burns over at the rooster who um kind of unmasked uh the uh, previously anonymous uh message board poster turned staff member nevada buck um who is uh the son of a very rich man uh shocker um and therefore a successful businessman, because uh, that's how things work. Um, and uh, a, a really dedicated poster um, whose uh, opinions um, are uh, will go with controversial. And uh, his uh, record on his insider scoops uh, will go with uh, spotted. I will uh, say, I got to jump in here. Nevada Buck is a true sicko of the highest order because he was born into the easiest life imaginable. And you can really pick whichever direction you want to go. And choosing to become a 
college football message board pseudo insider from a place <laughs> of that kind of prestige and privilege is just really hard for me to wrap my brain around, even though like I'm kind of part of the ex extended Michigan media universe, I suppose, blogosphere um, in a way that's not too dissimilar. Um, but yeah, just his whole background and then him being unveiled as this just really, really rich guy who peddles falsehoods as insider information. Like, <laughs> what, what are you doing, man? Well, first of all, it's cool when we do it because we're Michigan fans. Which is <laughs> But also, we don't pedal. We don't pedal falsehoods. We uh, we keep it no, real, which is why which is why it's my turn to jump in here and say that everything Ace is going to say after this is all alleged to have happened, and it is being claimed by various parties. Thank you. And, Thank uh, you. Who knows what may have really happened? We may never know. How could we? We, but, we uh... are going to hit allegedly territory very, very soon here. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um... allegedly a former Ohio State player named Kirk Barton, who is another, I guess, manager or owner. I don't really understand. One of the big wigs at Buckeye Scoop was also involved in some uh, questionable behavior. In some allegations. He was involved in some allegations. <laughs> This is a former player who is a starter on the offensive line for Ohio State, drafted by the Chicago Bears, uh, did not stick in the NFL, was briefly a graduate assistant for Ohio State, and then he turned himself into a um, uh, a very outspoken uh, social media personality, and uh, uh, we'll go with that. Um, and if you, if you want to, um, you know, don't look for his Twitter, actually. It, the, there's nothing good that really comes from that. But uh, if you do find it, you'll see why I just said that. Um, just throwing it out there. Yeah. Um, so this week, uh, Buckeye Scoop got a, a fair amount of sudden attention um, when it came to light uh, that Kirk Barton and Ken Stickney, uh, a.k.a. Nevada Buck, um, were no longer... Um, part of Buckeye Scoop uh, effective immediately and according to um, writer Mark Givler uh, uh, of Buckeye Scoop uh, who is the plaintiff in the lawsuit we're going to talk about here shortly um, he said that there were legal reasons uh, that he could not really go into details um, but there was immediately a, a very specific rumor that has not been refuted. So I will begin by saying, allegedly, allegedly, Kirk Barton and Ken Stickney um, may have paid Ohio State's backup long snapper uh, to feed them practice video, which, uh, as you might imagine, is a massive no-no for credentialed media members um, to uh, behind-the-scenes uh pay to access practice tape um, that is very much for players' eyes only. And it's really funny how Ohio State uh, may have allegedly uncovered this alleged plot um, in which a uh, injured backup long snapper had been watching film, quite a bit of film on various, like pretty much every position group. <laughs> yes. And they're being like, why are you doing this? Um. And that, that backup long snapper, this part not alleged, was kicked off the team. So, uh, where there is smoke might be a little fire there, allegedly. 
And uh, allegedly, this was just kind of the tip of the iceberg. Um, there were several other alleged, um, at least I believe in the lawsuit, uh, let's say malfeasances by uh, Mr. Barton and Nevada Buck, including <laughs> unilaterally changing, or including um, intending to uh, unilaterally change the billing uh, cycle from a month to 28 days to grift their uh, their, their own pa- readers, the patrons of, of Buckeye Scoop. And that um, wasn't even the most ridiculous they, bit of grifting yeah, of their own readers because they allegedly, Barton, yeah, oh they my God, <laughs> rigged a fantasy league that was like pretty high stakes, right? Like a couple thousand dollar buy-in. Um, allegedly. Changing, allegedly changing lineups uh, during games to benefit... Um, I believe that would be Mr. Barton and his wife, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly his and his wife's fantasy lineups. Yep. And this this kind of uh, is chalked up as like rather pedestrian in light of the other allegations. But allegedly, Mr. Barton also used um, $7,500 of company money to buy a truck from one of his buddies' dealerships, which is like a very Ohio State blogger <laughs> thing to do. Oh, I my God. Like. It is so incredibly on brand. And then... He like so in in the lawsuit um, a- after uh, you know it mentions that uh, Barton acting without authorization took seventy five hundred dollars from Scoop's bank account for the purpose of purchasing a vehicle. Uh, item fifteen. Shortly thereafter, Ricard Automotive began li- being listed on Scoop's website as a sponsor, despite the fact Scoop has never received any payment from Ricard Automotive. Upon information and belief. Barton bartered a sponsorship deal with Ricard Automotive in exchange for favorable terms on the purchase of his personal vehicle. Barton also obtained employment with Ricard Automotive. Allegedly. That part's not in the lawsuit. That's what I'm saying. Um, He also uh, gave free advertising to four-star firefighters or freightliners based out of Alabama um, and run by a friend of Barton, obviously. Um, again, allegedly. Who is, like, the target audience for a a freight company out of Alabama of the people who are reading BuckeyeScoop.com? It is Kirk Barton and the $5,000 that he allegedly received and that never was passed on to Buckeye Scoop. Um, Let's see what else we've got here. Uh, You know, I will say I'm kind of impressed by the audacity to pull off such small-time grifts. Like, if you're embezzling (laughs) money, allegedly, allegedly um, embezzling money from from a company, and you're going, and, yeah, $7,500 for a truck, like, doesn't seem worth going to jail over. It's sports media. This is not where you should be grifting. Like, why? (laughs) It is so hard to keep these things afloat legitimately. Like, what? Uh, So he also... um, uh, Item 19. Upon being admitted as a member of Scoop... I I, I can't get over the way it's written in the lawsuit. Uh, It's not the Scoop. It is just Scoop. Upon being admitted as a member of Scoop, Stickney... Uh, this is Ken Stickney, demanded he be paid $7,500 to match Barton's unauthorized withdrawal. 20! Despite being informed he was not entitled to the payment slash distribution because he was not a member of Scoop when Barton made his unauthorized withdrawal, Stickney unilaterally withdrew $7,500 from Scoop's bank account. 
Who the hell is controlling their bank account? Do they just give out the card to everyone? What the? What that's is going incredible. on? That's incredible. Like that's just a level of tawdriness. Like I, I want to go back to the truck thing though because Alex hit it for a second. But I think we need to dwell on like the impossible Ohio-ness of that. Of like thinking that like not only must I have this this truck, you know, at, at all costs. The best way to do it is to withdraw from a bank account that apparently everyone who's ever been involved with this company can see. <laughs> <laughs> like, of course I'll get away with it. Like, why wouldn't I? And then to turn around and have the other guy be like, well, I want $7,500 too. Like, essentially, they're in cahoots, but they're, like, blackmailing each other too. Like, in a guy who, else. A guy who is worth probably eight figures based on how much money he must have inherited, and he's pulling out 7500 from a the, the Scoop bank account. I, I, I have zero... It like, seem real. Like, Kirk Barton, at least, like, you know, being a, like, didn't make it in the NFL, uh, didn't stick as a grad assistant, and now you're working in sports media, he might need the money. Ken Stickney, what the fuck are you doing, man? Yeah. What are you doing? I, I mean, I think it's, it's again, I, I want to also backtrack there a little bit and say that the scenario that I laid out was all alleged to have happened. But uh, Thank you. Um, Thank yeah, you. Right. This is again, again. This is all under the umbrella of allegations and claims. We're not, uh, we're not, we're not saying anything. that. That had been laid out in a lawsuit. Yeah, in, the lawsuit is making court. a series of claims here. I just keep saying that because I'm just like, if it is a matter of like, public record. Yeah, um, yeah. Who, who knows? But I, I just, I, I, I will go back to the whole like, you know, let's say hypothetically that someone with a lot of money were to do what is alleged in this lawsuit. I do think it, it's an interesting case study in the whole like, uh, as Holden Caulfield says, like. The more uh, the richer the students at a boarding school are, the more they steal from each other, kind of thing. It's just kind of mm-hmm. like how uh, how are ethics imparted in these hypothetical scenarios where people may be actually very rich? Uh, interesting to consider. It, because it is just a, there is no explanation for why somebody would do what Ken Stickney is doing. There's no like, yeah, there's just no rational explanation for what Ken Stickney is doing. Uh, Allegedly doing. Allegedly doing. Thank you. Yeah, I would like to say that it is quite possible that uh, Mr. Barton and Mr. Nevada Buck are completely innocent of all of these allegations. So <laughs> I wouldn't want to smear you, their Alex. names unnecessarily. Innocent, innocent until proven guilty in a yeah. court of law. However, we are going to keep reading from this dang lawsuit. Item 22. Barton was responsible for distrib- distributing Scoop's merchandise. Scoop sold merchandise to subscribers through a third-party website. While thousands of dollars of Scoop's merchandise was sold, Scoop never received any money from the sale of merchandise. Upon information and belief, Barton kept the revenue for himself. Allegedly. Also, immediately following that entry... Um, in I am reading from awfulannouncing.com, uh, which has... a. Uh, compiled uh, a kind of greatest hits of uh, this whole saga. Um, immediately below that, they embedded a tweet from Rick Rickert. Uh, how the fuck is that your name? First of all, goddamn, I didn't even look at that before. <laughs> um, but you know, he's from the Rickert, uh, you know, automotive, uh, you know, whatever that we were talking about before. That the place that Barton got his truck. Um, the tweet reads, number one and number one working together. Welcome at Quinn Ewers to the Rickert family in this rabid customs lifted turbocharged Ford trucks Ford F-250 Tremor. Um, uh, Kirk Barton is also tagged in that tweet uh, and Buckeye Scoop. This is all above board uh, by name, image, and likeness. Um, but if you're Ohio State, 
are you super comfortable with your um like god tier quarterback recruit uh hanging out with Kirk Barton and having him be his go between uh for uh endorsements cuz I got to be honest uh that would give me hives if I was in the Ohio State Athletic Department. I mean, also Quinn Ewers is like should be in high school right now. He he's gonna sound like they're enlisting like a seventeen year old child in in these. Various he's years. barely been able to drive. <laughs> yeah. It's almost not legal for him to do this. <laughs> I do have one last question before we before we move on from the story. Although I I don't really want to move on from the story. <laughs> um, I feel like we must at some point. Uh, with the level of detail and the exhaustiveness of like the content of the allegations how long do you guys think that they were sitting on this lawsuit waiting for something huge to drop like okay guys fleecing the fantasy league allegedly was one thing but once once we have something that's capital r really bad um we're gonna we're gonna just drop this entire dossier of allegations um seems like it's something that could could have been kept up for a while and potentially hidden from uh, the Ohio State community of scoop. I don't know. Like, I could see that. I could also see uh, this all uh, coming together shockingly quickly because if they were playing this fast and loose with the whole uh, uh, company budget, um, maybe nobody like maybe nobody was checking. Maybe that's why they thought they could get away with such uh, brazen embezzlement, allegedly. Yeah, I, I have something to say here, though, which is like, what I find interesting about this, it's not like Buckeye Scoop is the most bottom feeder of sites. Like, they're definitely worse Ohio State sites. Most college team sites, like fan blogs, are worse than Buckeye Scoop, because Buckeye Scoop does the Michigan Monday series, which is actually really interesting, because they do, like, they do what Dan does for Michigan State, where they get, like, entirely too sympathetic while also tossing in a few jabs, but, like, analyzing, you know, Ohio State's arch rival in a pretty and interesting Bill way. Green and Alex Gleitman, who are like respected recruiting reporters, I mean, they they have, uh, yeah, they, they, I, at no point uh, were um, Kirk Barton and Nevada Buck uh, particularly respected in certain circles, uh, but they had really large followings, um, and it did at least make a certain amount of sense uh, for them to all be at a website together. Uh, as long as um, they weren't, say, according uh, to item 21. Um, Givler also discovered that Barton and Stickney published demonstrably false reports about the Ohio State University's football team's practices. This is despite, apparently, uh, having direct access to fucking practice video. Um, yeah. Uh, so what, what were they bringing to the site exactly other than their followings? Um, it seems like just their followings and, um, those people are now mad. Those people are mad. This is all very wild. This, this speaks to a, an underlying dynamic in the college football media space, especially at like power programs where there are these figures shadowy message board guys who are viewed by the readership as like a grand poobah of 
takes where, oh, you heard that the, the third string wide receiver was actually playing with the starters. Mm, that's very interesting. That's They love that trickle of information, and it doesn't matter if it's completely un, untethered from reality. Um, they just keep on selling it and selling it. So, like, for Nevada Buck to, you know, I mean, he's kind of on the booster tier, but, like, not really involved in direct access. For him to cultivate this image as, like, a truth knower or somebody who had a little bit of access behind the scenes where he could view stuff that isn't publicly available. Like that is a really, really hot commodity um, in that space. And I do think that it is like a very specific college football media story, um, especially mm-hmm. when you get into like these really openly partisan outlets that you see um, across the country, but particularly with programs like Ohio State or even Michigan to a degree. Um, I don't think anybody in the Michigan beat would do one one hundredth of what has allegedly been done by Barton and Nevada Buck. But uh, only because James Yoder was never officially part of the yeah. Michigan beat. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you don't. You never know what Seth Fisher might get up to. I mean, he seems innocent. <laughs> but... <laughs> Seth, we love you, Seth. Seth Fisher secretly bribing a, a member of the nineteen seventy eight to give him. That is far too recent, sir. That is. Far that too good, Alex. <laughs> uh, but yeah, th- this is um, a very specific type of story. Uh, I I will say I do hope that the um, uh, the rest of uh, the Buckeye Scoop staff is able to keep things together and uh, or you know uh, that th- this doesn't ruin people's uh, livelihoods because. Um, it is rather appalling uh, the the actions of uh, Kurt Barton and Ken Stickney, in addition to everything else. So, working in sports media is the alleged actions. Fucking sorry, right? <laughs> yeah, sorry, the alleged actions uh, that have been very, very specifically detailed um, in a lawsuit uh, seeking damages over twenty five thousand um, dollars in Ohio State Court. Um, yeah, uh, I, I I hope this turns out as well as possible for everybody because uh, well. It is a very wild story, and it is uh, fun to gawk. It is important to remember that there are real people affected by this. Um, So um, hopefully uh, people land on their feet, um, with the exception of maybe uh, Kirk Barton and Ken Stickney, allegedly. Uh, And with that, uh, we are going to move on to our picks. Um, Dan is absent, but he has... um, thrown his thrown his picks in uh our show notes um he is not here for us to read that he finished dead last last week uh going two and five with his selections uh connor was our winner going four and three um those were the two uh, uh that picked um the uh purdue game uh which um alex and i abstained from alex actually abstained from a number of picks so he went two and two i went three and three which uh was a bounce back for me uh, compared to previous weeks. We will leave it at that. Our overall leader after three weeks is Connor at eight, seven, and one. Um, <laughs> and you all laughed at me when I picked Oregon. <laughs> um, Connor eight, seven, and one. Dan is seven, eight, and one. Alex five, six, and one. And one of those five is a straight up money line win. So you want to give Alex a little bit of extra credit there. I am five, nine, and one, and I host this show, so I get to stay. Um, 
<laughs> Let's get to the games. Uh, Notre Dame uh, is plus six and a half at Wisconsin. And actually, very quickly before uh, I get to our picks, I am going to attempt to explain what these all mean. Um, spreads uh, plus six and a half means uh, as long as you finish within six points of your opponent, since you can't score half points in football, um, you win the bet. Uh, minus six and a half means you have to outscore your opponents by s- more than six points to win the bet. Um, for money lines, um, minus something means you have to bet that much money to win a hundred dollars back. Plus something means if you bet a hundred dollars, that is how much money you would win. Uh, for totals over under is exactly what it sounds like. You're betting on how many points in total are scored by both teams in the game. I hope that was helpful. Um, because I tried to do it very quickly because we're running a little bit long. Notre Dame, plus 6.5 on the spread, plus 195 on the money line at Wisconsin. The total of this game is 47 points. Um, this one opened with Wisconsin uh, favored by 5.5. I have watched both of these teams and do not love either of them. Uh, so I am putting my trust in uh, Bill Connolly's SP plus and the one point of mind movement that has gone towards Wisconsin. I'm going to pick the Badgers with uh, some trepidation. Uh, Alex, what's your pick? I'm going to pick Notre Dame. Um, I was thinking about going for the money line there, but I'm just taking them and the points. Um, I would like to say that all of my bets that are not made on this uh, podcast are winning bets. So, (laughs) um, yeah. Follow at Bonschill on Twitter.com. But no, I think uh, Notre Dame. <laughs> you should do that, though. Yeah, <laughs> Notre Dame um, and Wisconsin, both pretty stinky. Uh, I'll go with Notre Dame being stinky plus point six, or 6.5 points. <laughs> when, they, when they both stink, taking the points is a strong strategy. Uh, Connor, you seem to have a, a similar tack. So the fact that Wisconsin's favored makes this easy for me. Like you guys, I don't necessarily like fully. I don't believe in either of these teams as as you know um, real contenders for much of anything. But Notre Dame does feel like they're having one of their classic Brian Kelly seasons where they look shaky in more than half their games, but still win eleven games somehow. Um, he's up to his tricks Gross. again, folks. Don't don't fall for it. He's sandbagging us. Uh, <laughs> so I I think Notre Dame will be fine, kind of like they were uh, last week against admittedly a worse team. But I, yeah, I mean the fact that they're Wisconsin is favored makes this easy for me. So. Dan has joined me uh, on the Wisconsin side of the spread. Uh, quote, ND is stinky and on the road, unquote. Thank you, Dan. Isn't this uh, game happening at Soldier Field, or am I mistaken there? Uh, you are not mistaken. It is at Soldier Field, which is still a Notre Dame home game, yeah, let's that's, be real. that's the home of the Irish right there. Uh, so, um, yeah, not a Wisconsin home game, Dan. Uh but, uh, you know, we'll say it's a little bit away from home for them. But, uh, yeah, a weird neutral site game between Notre Dame and Wisconsin, which I probably should have noted when introducing this. It was um, um, part of a bizarre home-and-home home series uh, that a game at Lambeau between the two teams was canceled last year because of COVID. I was going to guess Yankee Stadium. Um, but uh, weird. Weird. Um, also confusing that they list Wisconsin second um, because uh, Notre Dame should really be listed as the de facto home team. Um, nobody touching the total of 47 on this one, which is like, grossly low. Uh, I don't blame y'all. Um, our next game is Kent State plus 14 and a half and plus 440 on the money line at Maryland. 
the total on this one is a, a rather high 68 and a half. Uh, Kent State's defense is uh, very not good. Um, the two real teams they played, they uh, lost to Texas A&M and Iowa. Not exactly the most explosive offenses this year. They lost them by a combined score of 71 to 17. Um, so even though I got burned by Maryland last week because I have not learned to stop trusting Maryland after like week one, I'm still picking them. Uh, Alex, I think you're, you, you have a, a better approach than I do because you're not touching the spread. <laughs> yeah. I actually got the over under at 67.5 and took the under, um, it's up a point since then apparently, but yeah, bet the under Connor. I do like the under, um, Honestly, I am just betting. This is where like me not betting with real money comes into play because I just don't want to lose ground to you guys. So I'm going to stick with Maryland. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't really believe in that pick, but I can't get burned on it. So here we are. <laughs> uh, that is some bullshit because some of us bet with real money. Um, although, it's bullshit, uh, but look who's winning, Ace. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And uh, I uh, kind of wish I had not been betting with real money these last couple weeks. Um, but that is neither here nor there for everybody but B and people who were taking my advice on picks. My apologies. I hope it gets better. It really has been good other than these last two weeks. Um, Dan picked Maryland, saying they should score a ton. Um, Dan uh, was winning the competition until last week, so uh, maybe he's good that he's on my side. But Connor's whole not losing ground strategy, very annoying. Very annoying, Connor. Um, and uh, it's not going to change with this one because Illinois – is giving 11 points on the road at Purdue, uh, plus 340 on the money line for Illinois. The over-under is 53-and-a-half. Um, that, to me, is far too many points to put on the Boilermakers, uh, especially since David Bell took a very nasty-looking hit on Saturday. Uh, he's in concussion protocol. He is uh, definitely questionable for the Illinois game. And if looks are any indication, and obviously um, head injuries are very tricky uh tricky ground to cover um but uh i would not expect him to play and that takes away by far purdue's best offensive player um the the over under for this is only 53 and a half for so for a team to be favored by uh you know 11 points uh i would take illinois here and if bell is out i would quite possibly consider a small play on their money line but i'm sticking with their spread for um official uh podcast purposes um i will give it away right now everybody went with illinois so we are moving right along uh i'm am i worried that we all picked illinois yes uh, especially since we all picked maryland against illinois last week uh so our our uh our unanimous picks may be a big red flag um that says uh, uh go bet on purdue minus 11 i guess um but uh that is also none of our individual advice, so you cannot blame us for it. Yeah, you should definitely not do that. <laughs> just, a, <laughs> just a tip for um, those of us, like including me, who are new to betting. If you are following somebody and they get a bunch of picks wrong, you could simply pick against them. Um, uh, fade, the the fade old fade. Picks. Yes. So is is Alex? Is Alex subtweeting me on my own podcast? We're no, not sure. I'm not. I'm saying we're maybe a couple <laughs> weeks from having the fade ace conversation. Oh, boy. All right. Um, I'm in the clear for now, at least. Um, 
And I'm in the clear on this pick because, once again, this one is unanimous. Uh, Rutgers plus 20.5 at Michigan. The over-under for this is a uh, rather disgustingly low 49.5. That's an implied score of 35 to 14, in essence. Um, Yeah, I went with Michigan because Rutgers has been a ridiculously lucky team this year. They are Plus eight in turnover margin, which is second in the country through three games. Five of those are fumble recoveries. I cannot imagine there have been something like the 10 or 12 fumbles needed by the opposition to make that anything but an extreme amount of luck. Also, uh, the opponent putting the ball on that ball on the ground that much in the first place would be a lot of luck. Um, they have not played great teams. Um, they are 3-0, and and they are... A top five resume SP plus team. So this is a rather shocking line, but when Vegas puts it out there, you know, you got to take it. Um, and uh, let's see, Connor, you you have a pick beyond just uh, picking Michigan. I'm taking the over just because I really don't see Rutgers defense, which, by the way, is going to be down two defensive backs who got suspended for something involving a paintball gun. Allegedly, it sounds like. <laughs> yes. That, um, <laughs> and that news broke like right when I was writing down this line. So we'll see if that shifted at all or the. Total. Yeah, at least one of their starters on there got good defenses out. And like, I mean, here's the thing, right? If Michigan doesn't pave these guys, then we'll have a different conversation. But until further notice, Michigan should be expected to pave bad ga- bad teams and score on most of their drives. And so I think you've got to take the over. It's at only 49 and a half. That seems like an easy, an easy over. Yeah. Um, yeah. I might be actually more inclined to bet the total than the line in this one, but um, I've locked in my pick because uh, I can't lose ground against you guys. If I lock in my pick with Michigan, right, Connor? Um, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Um, the, uh, not quite sickos game of the week, uh, cause that, um, went to Illinois Purdue. If I, uh, did not mention that specifically, um, Nebraska plus five and plus 170 on the money line at Michigan state over under a 52. I am steering the steering clear of the spread. I, I want nothing to do with it. I want nothing to do with Michigan state's seeming competence, Nebraska's, um, vacillating back and forth between like being getting Adrian Martinez up to third in the big 10 and passer rating and whatever the hell happened against Illinois. Um, I don't want, I don't want any part of this line, uh, but give me the under um, because uh, yeah, give me the under uh, Alex, you dared to pick a team. So uh, I would like to say that I was the only member of the bucket problem who gave Michigan State much of a chance against Miami last week. So mm. as your resident Sparty knower, I will say take Nebraska in the points. I did not pull the trigger on Nebraska money line, but um, this game has deeply weird vibes to me. And yes, uh, one of Dan's notes is that Adrian Martinez has low-key been playing well. Um, and that MSU secondary is bad. I agree with both of those takes. Um, Nebraska shot itself in the foot quite frequently against Oklahoma and otherwise were pretty competitive in that game. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm like a Nebraska plus five. Yeah. I, my serious gambling advice here, like all of us follow the big 10 closely and all of us are, are very wary of this game. And the reason for that is big 10 football. There's usually at least one game a week where, you know, there's going to be like warlock powers and play and like, there'll be, <laughs> trash tornadoes on the field and this often happens at east lansing by the way um 
this has a deeply weird like this is one of those games just feels like almost anything could happen like a blowout on either side or a very close overtime game or like just one of those games where you just know you should not put money on it so that's my very serious advice you know i am keeping my units small right now so it's it's not really a huge deal but i do think (laughs) i like nebraska here um not enough to put much more confidence than one unit on them but yeah i don't don't know i think uh i think i'm feeling good about the huskers and that is uh while we are doling out some gambling advice alex does make a a fair point here which is it is much better to make small bets on a, a a few games than uh throwing it all on one game because uh less risk and less risk is good especially when uh things are a little bit geared towards the house because they got the juice um which is why I'm staying the heck away from this next game, and only one of us is daring to touch it. Um, Akron, plus 49 at Ohio State. The over-under is only 67.5, which means this is an implied score of 58-9. to I want nothing to do with this. Alex wants nothing to do with this. No, I do Dan, not. Dan, not here, still wants nothing to do with this. Connor, you're scaring me, man. I, I actually insisted we keep this game in, even though none of you guys want to bet it, because I, here's the thing, all right? Ohio State is 2-1 and one this year in, in terms of their actual record. In terms of, like, taking care of business or putting up the kind of performance we think they should be good enough to put up, they're 0-3. Like, yeah, they've beaten two teams. The Minnesota win was not very convincing. The Tulsa win, they did win by three touchdowns, but Tulsa's terrible. And they couldn't move the, they couldn't score in the first half, which was like very, it would be very concerning to me if I were a Buckeyes fan. I think for as much like rending of garments as Buckeyes fans have done in recent weeks, there's still a little bit of denial about how bad this team could be. I'm not saying that's definitive yet, but like this team looks like it could actually have real problems of the sort of like locker room uh, stuff kind of falling off the rails type variety. And I'm not saying it's guaranteed yet. We don't know that yet, but they're going to beat Akron. I feel confident in that. But by 49 points, I Ohio State has to convince me, man. Ohio State has to show me that they're going to be the kind of dominant we expect them to be. And they haven't done it a single time this year. So, yeah, I'm betting Akron with 49 points all day. You know, that rousing little speech <laughs> has convinced me to take out a personal loan and put 2,000 Do not do what Alex just said. <laughs> yes, yes, the Akron. <laughs> do not. No, I cannot in good conscience recommend that to anyone. Um, it is worth noting, uh, in support of Connor betting this line that I would not touch with a 10 foot pole, uh, that Kerry Combs, uh, has been effectively demoted as Ohio state's defensive coordinator. He was in the booth, uh, and not calling the plays on Saturday. Uh, neither of those were the previous way things were set up. So, um, I don't know. A uh, coordinator change after two weeks seems uh, worrisome. We will go with worrisome. And that is a wonderful thing to hear from the Michigan side of things. And that is how we are going to end this show. Thank you so much to everybody for listening. Um, and thank you especially to those of you who have subscribed to the newsletter and the bonus podcast. If you want to do that, head over to thebucketproblem.com. You can follow us at Bucket Problem on Twitter. Uh, you can find us wherever you find your podcasts, uh, Apple, Google, uh, Spotify, wherever. Rate us, uh, review us on Apple. Uh, please set us to download. That's a really awesome thing to do for the site. Um, 
Use promo code BUCKETPROBLEM at homefieldapparel.com. And if you're interested in advertising, contact thebucketproblem at gmail.com for inquiries. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week.